0: So, again, as we read our passage this morning, uh, the message this morning leads us to a fun topic, and that is relationships inside the church of Jesus Christ. I thought it might be kind of fun for us to begin if we just had everyone who had ever had a conflict inside the church, if you could just stand and shout out some of those names. Uh, But then I decided that may not be the most appropriate way to begin the sermon. But I think we all know. Uh, That people living together inside of any kind of community, a church family or family, whatever, there can be moments and times of dysfunction. Uh, One counselor I heard speak, uh, said it like this one time, said that until Jesus returns, we are just going to bump into each other from time to time. And that's inside of a family or a church or anywhere else. It just happens. We know that that is true and it's real. And there's none amongst us today who have not had some form of conflict with other people. It's just reality. And as members of God's family, we see that God has a better plan for us than merely to bump into each other on a regular basis. So, here in Paul's letter to the Galatians, our theme is freedom in Christ. We have been seeing this throughout the summer. Chapters 1 and 2, we saw Paul's personal story of freedom. Chapters 3 and 4, his theological basis for freedom. But here we are in chapters 5 and 6, as we are coming to the end of the letter, where it's just practical applications of the gospel. A lot of imperatives do this because of everything that is true in the gospel. So here we are now for one of these, uh, one of these applications, one of these gospel applications is the reality that God cares for relationships inside his church. His design, his desire, his calling is that these are healthy, that they are enjoyable, that they are good, that they are right, that they are moving in the right direction, that God is to bless these. He desires for that. Our passage this morning leads us to see very clearly That when God's spirit leads our lives, we will have healthy relationships inside the church based on God's love for us. So that is my prayer this morning as I've been praying and preparing for this this week. Is that God would show us what is true of us in him. So for this to happen, uh, two things need, need to occur. Two points this morning for us. First, We need to see our own broken pattern inside of relationships, and then secondly, we need to see others' rightful position inside of relationships. So see our own brokenness, the pattern that exists inside of our hearts, how we interact with each other, and then when that happens and Christ replaces that, then we will see the place of honor for all of those who are around us. So may the Lord bless us with a healthy church in regard of how we see each other. All right, first, notice our broken pattern. Uh, We have to recognize our own problem correctly if uh, if we're going to grow in this. As Luke preached last week, he reminded us that we can all change. We can all change. In fact, we're supposed to change because God's Spirit is constantly changing us. what we see from God's good design from His Spirit is that we are to have a life of enjoyment, just as we confess with Westminster Shorter Catechism, that as we embrace who Christ is and what He has made us to be, it affects us in how we see each other. Christ purchased us from our old way of life so that as we live for Him, we are now free to enjoy the freedom that we have in Him. So if we're going to enjoy this new identity, we really do have to own that which is wrong with us that prevents us from the enjoyment that can steal our joy and take our eyes off the freedom that is ours in Christ. There's one key word here that we have to see and understand what it is, and it's found in verse 26. It's the word conceit. That is, we all have a very common, very practical problem. And of course, that is sin, but more particular than just sin, it is this issue of conceit. And Paul is very clear here, let us not become conceited. Again, it's hugely important that we all understand exactly what this word means and how it affects us because it is contrary to everything that the Spirit is doing inside of our lives, And this is not just one of many problems that we have in terms of relationships with each other. I think this is the problem that we have, and Paul makes it very clear, don't do this. So what is conceit? What does it mean? To be conceited means that we are utterly consumed with ourselves, Because of the utter devastation of sin and the vacuum that's been left inside of our hearts, we are consumed with number one, ourselves. (coughs) Excuse me. Conceit literally means empty of honor. That is what exists inside our hearts because of the sinful world into which we were born, we were born with a position of empty of honor inside of our soul. That's what's true of every single one of us. We have it, a deep insecurity and we are all desperately trying to fill that hole with something. And what we do, even as Christians inside the body of Christ, is that we use other people to fill What only Christ can feel. It's when we turn our relationships with other people into something they were never meant to be. Look back at verse 26 and notice these two phrases. These two words. There are two things that we do inside of this pattern. When it comes to our relationships with each other, we are prone to either provoke or to envy. To provoke means it's a form of competition. It's where I can look at you and determine, you know what, you might be good, but I'm better than you at that, so therefore I feel good about myself. To envy is to look at something that you have or do and realize, oh, you're better at that than I am, so therefore I feel worse about myself than I previously did. The common denominator is you are defining what I think of me. And everything that we have talked about in the book of Galatians so far is, that is another gospel. The way that we are to look at ourselves is the way Christ looks at us. So sinful people, conceited people, that is us, we aim to fill the empty hole of honor in which we were born by looking at each other inside the church and determining, am I better than you or am I worse than you? And I'll feel good or I'll feel bad based on my evaluation. Do you see, when we do this, when we play this game, when we engage in this pattern, the gospel of Jesus Christ has no value whatsoever. The value that's inside of our heart is based on what we think is true of us as we measure up everyone around us. I hope that you see this morning... If we're honest about the problem related to keeping in step with the Spirit, our conceit is a raging war going on all around us inside of our hearts. It's going on at this very second. It is pervasive. I would even say it's a pandemic. As we look around, even as you walked into church this morning, it's so easy to compare ourselves to others and to think of ourselves more highly or think of ourselves worse. And that's not what other people are for. That's not why we exist. You see, conceited people find their value positively or negatively by determining their worth, by comparing themselves to other conceited people. Church, please see this morning, that's maddening. That is a rat race that will never stop, and it's real. The point of this passage is to recognize that this is an ongoing reality and to be reminded that living in step with the Spirit moves us away from this ongoing consumption of comparing ourselves and reminds us again and again and again and over and over again of God's declaration of us. Our value, the value of our soul, the honor that we are looking for deep within comes from the message of the cross. And it is that God loves you and you are valuable because of what Jesus has done and what he says. Our value comes from him, not the rat race of constant comparison and hopes that you're better than other people. As I was praying and thinking about this passage this week, it reminded me of an Old Testament character. That was King Saul. Uh, You can read about him in 1 Samuel. King Saul's life is to be read as a great tragedy. He was Israel's first king, but he was also a failure as a king. He had every single one of the physical gifts and skills to be a great leader. Everyone else would have been envious of him. Everyone would have wanted to compare themselves to him and then realize he's better than all of us. Yet in his life, he made one mistake after another by constantly disobeying God's very clear demands. In chapter 15 of 1 Samuel, we finally realize the problem that was inside of King Saul's heart all along. He was confronted about a particular sin. And upon his confession, here are his words. He says, yes, I have sinned, but please honor me before the elders. You know what was really going on in his heart? With all the gifts, with all the skills, he just wanted everybody else around him to look at him and think how great he was. He was not concerned with what God thought of him. He just wanted to know what everyone else thought of him. And he wanted them to honor him. Church, I ask you this morning, whose approval do you want? Who are you dying for them to like you, for them to accept you, for them to affirm you? For them to think that you're smart, for them to think that you are important, to know your name, to invite you to dinner, to be in their friend group. You see, when you seek to fill the emptiness of honor by other people, you have in fact eliminated what Christ has done. In our conceit of focusing on whoever these other people are, the gospel of Jesus Christ is no longer your actual value. You see, that person, whoever you thought of, that person's approval, whoever it is, is your personal slavery. When Paul says that you are free, this is the relationship application of that freedom. You are now free to enjoy who you are in Christ. Because you are in him, therefore you are pleasing to him. Friends, hear me this morning, just as we heard in our assurance of pardon that Will read. Jesus enjoys you. He sings over you. He likes you. The approval of others is not important to your value, not to your soul. You now I found it interesting this week while uh, preparing, and Will and I talked about this a bit this morning, There's not really part of this passage that's just a a clear how to not be conceited. It'd be nice if there was just one verse that said how to do that. But then it dawned on me that the solution to our problem of this empty honor that we all have, it's the whole theme of Galatians. It's everything that we've been talking about. It's that what Christ has done has provided everything. The reason we don't turn to another gospel is that no other gospel gives us this freedom. No other gospel can cause our hearts to be so in love with the gospel of Christ who loves us. You see, we are his possession. We are in him. Please know this morning, it's not your fault that you were born empty of honor and have suffered the consequences of that. That is a result of this fallen world and sin in our world. It's destructive and it has countless consequences. But yet it is your opportunity to leave that empty way of life and enjoy the wellness of God's mercy for your life now to be defined by the cross. That you could not be more honored that Christ loves you and died for you. So first, admit that this is true and be honest about the destruction, destructive pattern that exists inside of us. I would like to say, well maybe it's just a handful of us. But no, scripture says don't be conceited. That means all of us fall into this. So in a nutshell, our problem is our relationship with other people is that we use each other your objects so that I can feel better about myself. See how destructive that is. So now, let's transition. When the gospel of Jesus shows us our value, then our emptiness is filled with the message of the cross. When that happens, notice in turn how we then treat other people. Look back at chapter 6. I want us to see three different things this morning that stand out. When we are filled with the Spirit, how we interact with each other. Let me warn you, some of these are exactly what you'd assume they should be, and then some are a little different. But we're going to see three things that naturally flow from God's Spirit when He leads us and how we interact with each other. First, (coughs) sorry. when we're in step with the Spirit... Verse 1, we humbly care for those who are affected by sin. We humbly care for those who are affected by sin. Verse 1 says, those who are caught in spiritual transgression. This could mean when you look at your friend group, when you look at people inside the church, and they have fallen into a particular sin, that you are to call them out of that. That absolutely is what that could mean. But it also includes in that, All people in your life who have been caught up in the entanglements of sin and its many repercussions. That is people who are victims of a world where evil is rampant. People who are hurting because of bad parents, bad systems, bad work, bad health, bad spouses. The possibilities are limitless and every single one of us this morning fall into this category. The point is that we who are spiritual are to care for those people inside of our church who are hurting, that sin has hurt. The sinful, the hurting, the broken, the poor, the sick, the lonely, the abused, the struggling. And I say that we do this humbly because we recognize we too could fall into sin. We too could be victims of the fall in a particular way. But yet, you are to care for people who are hurting. You don't compare yourself for your own pleasure. No, you care for them. You see, someone this morning in your circle of influence, someone in our church, needs your prayers today because they are in pain. Someone in your circle of influence needs a call, a text, a meal, a confrontation, because sin has hurt them. Spiritually led people care for their brothers and sisters because sin is real. When you're not comparing yourself to them, you now can care for each other. This is a healthy church when we care because sin has affected us. But secondly, look at verse 2. Not just do we care for people spiritually, but we are to physically help others in practical ways. Verse 2 is one of the most popular verses in all of Scripture, and rightly so. And that is, we are to be engaged in fulfilling the law of Christ. And when we do that, we help each other, we bear each other's burdens. Of course, Jesus physically helped us by coming to earth and physically bearing our very real burden. Thus, in turn, the Spirit leads us away from the rat race of constantly comparing ourselves to others and then helping them in their practical ways. I love, in this verse, Tim Keller does a beautiful job of explaining this. A burden in this text is to be understood as something that is so heavy you can't carry it by yourself. It's something that cannot be lifted alone. And the church of Jesus Christ is a place where we, being led by the Spirit, help each other carry things that they otherwise would not be able to carry, to do things that cannot be done alone. So understand this morning, no matter how gifted you are, there are things in your life that you cannot do by yourself. There is no one who does not need some kind of burden relieved. There are very few of us who cannot be of help. But here's the point. When you're not comparing, you're free to be helping. And when you're helping, you're being like Christ. And when you're being like Christ, you enjoy the community in which you're in. That's what's going on in this passage. As Will mentioned, uh, parish groups are resuming And because I I get a chance to be involved in parish groups and help lead these and have a parish group of my own, I've got lots of good stories of what has happened inside of parish groups even within the past few months. I'll share a couple. Uh, Earlier this summer, and it's funny to me, I was laying in my hammock in our backyard, and Tim Green sends me a video of a parish group where one couple inside the group had bought a new house and had moved to the new place, and everyone in the parish group went to help them move in, and all of the men built a new fence for them. It was like an old-timey, you know, barn-raising ceremony where they were all together, and then they had a big picnic afterwards. And Tim sends a video of everyone there working, because the reality is it was a practical way that people could receive help, and it was the church being the help, and it was great. And again, I thought it was funny. I'm laying in my hammock watching all these guys working hard building this fence. I didn't know about it, but it was just enjoyable to see the church being the church inside of a very practical way, and they enjoyed being together. This past Thanksgiving, uh, I had COVID. Uh, I I got emotional thinking about this as I was writing it during the week. Uh, I I got COVID sometime before Thanksgiving. Uh, The test had not been confirmed, but by Thanksgiving morning, I'd lost all smell and taste, and it was pretty obvious what was going on, and I graciously shared COVID with everyone in our household. But Thanksgiving night, as as we had communicated with our friends and our peers group of what was going on and just the reality of it, that point in, in the night, that point of we couldn't go out, we were all scared, honestly, just we weren't sure what was going on. A family in our parish group showed up unannounced that night. They didn't come inside. They didn't knock on the door. They left a text to say to look outside. Where there was a package of vitamin D, zinc, Tylenol, all the things that we might need. People did something for me that I could not do myself or give to my family. No one told them to do it. They just did it. They carried my burden. And it was the church being the church. There's story after story after story like that. This is what we are called to do with each other. When we aren't comparing ourselves to each other and trying to feel better, we're free to care, we're free to serve. The Spirit leads us to take our eyes off ourselves, to be filled with God's truth about His love for us, and then our lives overflow in service to everyone else. If Jesus is not your core value, you'll constantly look not to serve, but to be served. So one, we've seen that we humbly care spiritually. Secondly, we help practically. But number three, and I love this, verses 5, 4 and 5 the Spirit leads us in relationship with others to fulfill our own personal responsibilities. I think this is so fascinating. We fulfill our own personal responsibilities. Paul is clear that each individual person must recognize that their own duty to test the motives of their heart to determine what neighbors can help with and that which must be done alone. Verse 5 says, you must, quote, bear your own load. Did you catch the contradiction? Verse 2 says that we are to bear each other's burdens. Now, verse 5 says we're to bear our own load. It seems like a contradiction here. Are we to bear each other's burdens or are we to help ourselves and bear our own load? Which is it? And of course, the answer is it's both. Note, I said a burden is something that is so heavy you can't carry it by yourself. But a load in this passage is interesting. It is something much lighter and something that you can carry. It's to be thought of as something like a backpack. You can do it. So let this sink in. The way that you help others and to create a healthy community where we live in unity with each other is that you, under the direction of the Holy Spirit... You are to fulfill whatever load God has given you and not ask other people to do that which you can do. Fulfilling whatever load you have is God's assignment to you. So the question is, what load are you expected to carry? I think the best way to answer that question is simply... What particular calling tomorrow morning can only you do? Your job, your family, being a student, a certain responsibility, teaching a class, going to a class, being on summer project, whatever the case may be, there are certain things that only you can do and it's your personal responsibility. Only tomorrow morning do I have the role of being Lisa Randall's husband. That's my duty, it's my calling. Only tomorrow morning am I the pastor of care and community at Tates Creek Presbyterian Church. Only tomorrow do you have a certain particular calling. If you are lazy, if I am lazy, if we sleep in, if we skip, if we're rude, if we're negligent, if we show up late, then other people are going to be hurt. If you choose not to raise your children diligently... We all, as a church, are going to suffer. If you're late to work tomorrow, you're causing things to not function properly. You're called to fill, fill your load. Your load is something by the Holy Spirit that you can do. So by the authority of God's word, I would say, do it. And do it with joy. I joked this week, this is not a capitalistic rant. This is the Bible. You have to carry your own load. God has given you responsibility to do. And I believe that we are to be a church of hard workers, not for achievement purposes, not to compare, but to fulfill our own responsibility. Fulfill your duty. You will not enjoy the life that God has for you if you don't do your callings by the power of his spirit. And our church will be less complete when we are not engaged in fulfilling what God has asked us to do. So, church member, fulfill your vows of membership. Serve, love, lead, pray, attend, care. See, we don't carry our own load to impress others or to win their favor. No, the Spirit leads us to see ourselves rightly and to see others rightly. Because then we're acting like our Savior. We are more like Jesus. The Spirit leads us just as the Spirit ministered to our Savior when He came for us because He cared for us. He leads us just like Jesus when He carried our burden. Friends, this morning, your burden was never too heavy for Jesus. Never, The Spirit leads us as the Spirit led Christ when He fulfilled His responsibility. Jesus carried His load. He carried His cross so that our value would be found in Him. Jesus did what only Jesus alone could do. He went to the cross. He died. He went willingly. He obeyed His Father because it was good for us. Our joy is found in his fulfillment. Therefore, our relationships with each other are to be pleasing inside the church because our relationship with him is pleasing to him. He did it. So therefore, we live in community with each other through the power of his spirit. We have peace with God today May we live with peace with each other throughout our lives. By God's spirit, we can. Let's prepare our hearts now to come to his communion table and dine and feast with the one who brings peace. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that this is true. We thank you that you love us. We thank you, O God, that you have called us to follow you, to live for you. O Lord, draw us near to you now, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.